Welcome to the Awakening Church podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. Uh, let me do a little review, especially if you're new and you're just kind of stepping into this moment. And you're going, what in the world is going on before we move forward and talk specifically about what uh, we're going to do as a community this morning. Uh, what is above and beyond? We've talked for the last um, six weeks about this. Uh, we believe we serve a God who goes above and beyond what we could ask or imagine, so we want to be in position to steward the blessing of God. And so we're embarking. Today is the day we are starting a two-year campaign to raise $1.5 million above and beyond our regular giving to strategically position us for what God has next. 20% is going to go to local and global impact. We're going to be more generous than we've ever been in the life of our church. And we have been an extremely generous church. We're going to give $300,000 away uh, over the next two years through this campaign. 80% is going to go to a long-term location. How will we accomplish this? We're going to give above what we normally give so that we can go beyond what we are normally able to do. All right. And here's the principle that we've applied through this. Uh, If you've been around me, you've heard this. If you've been at any of our leadership things, you've heard this. Speed of the leader, speed of the team. Uh, As the leaders go, so goes the rest of the church. I believe that we as leaders are to set the pace and to go first. Uh, We have the example of David in the building of the temple in 1 Chronicles 29. And so what you need to know is as uh, some significant people have already gone first, our leadership council, or maybe you would call it an eldership, uh, has gone, our staff has gone, and a number of leaders at Awakening have already gone first before this moment And so, to this date, we are beginning not at a zero sum, but what has already been pledged is $120,000 and change. That's $820,000. Listen, for those who... Know me, this is the second time I've screwed up on the number. I'm like, why isn't anybody clapping? This is really amazing. And then when I hear it back in my head, I get why. Like, that's not all that cool. But at least it's up there correctly. $820,000. We're well over halfway there. And so this morning, what I want to let you know is at the end of the sermon, we're going to take a time of of just extended worship, and we're going to take communion, and during that time, those who came prepared to give are going to get up, they're going to drop their pledge card over here and take communion. Many haven't, uh, you know, come prepared, and I'll talk about that in a second. You're just going to take communion, or if if you've already pledged. And so we don't want to make this in any way a sense of someone feeling like they're pointed out or like, hey, what is going on here? That this is very much a private thing between you and God, and we're really excited about it. But let me explain the pledge card right now that you have on your seat, okay? So you got this pledge card, and if you wouldn't mind doing this for me, kind of, it's actually perforated. There's one part that you're supposed to take with you, 
And so here's how you fill it out. I blank, and I fill in your name, not my name, uh, commit to blank. This is the amount that you're committing to giving above what you regularly give here at Awakening uh, to specifically the above and beyond campaign to this $1.5 million goal that we're going to. This is not um, all that you give to Awakening. This is not even, you don't fill in what you have given to other places. This is specifically for this campaign. And you keep the top half for you, and then the bottom half is where you put in your name, your email, uh, and is what you would turn in into the box. And you can give, hey, I'm going to plan to give a one-time gift, or I'm going to plan based on my budget to give monthly $100, $200, $1,000. But then you write the total down right at the bottom, exactly what you are giving. It's the same total that you give up top, right there, total two years there. You can give online. If you do give online, by the way, can you uh, do the ACH? If you give credit card or even Apple Pay, credit card takes 2.3%. Apple Pay takes over 3% out. ACH is 25 cents per transaction. And I have it set up where I can automatically pay for the 25 cents that I give because I want all my money to go to Awakening. You can give by check or you can give by stock there, okay? So this is the card. This is what we're going to spend time later in the service filling out. But what I want to address before we move on is who should participate this morning? I think this is a really important question. Who should participate this morning are those who came prepared to pledge. So maybe you've been around, you've been hearing us talk about it, and you have a desire to be a part of this, but you didn't come prepared today. I'm going to ask you to not give. It, there is a, God calls us to decide in our heart advance not to feel any sense of compulsory or anything like that. And so I'm going to ask you to take this card with you this week, pray over it, and, and then think about, okay, what is it, God, that you would have me give thoughtfully to this and bring it back next week? We'll have the same box in the back that you can drop that off. Um, who shouldn't give? Uh, if you're brand new, you're just getting to know us. And maybe you have a desire to be a part of this, and certainly we'd welcome you there. But, but we want you to have time to be able to thoughtfully pray and plan. Uh, even as we take uh, and do the communion, what you'll notice is there's many leaders that have already given. And so there won't be any sense of, oh, someone, you know, put a card in and someone didn't. We don't want any of that. I, I think at the same time, what you need to know is your gifts and your contributions and your pledge are confidential. I have no idea what anyone gives. Only our finance department knows about that. No other pastor on staff Either. And so, if you want to write down in your notes, December 2nd, that's the day when we're going to share the number, and Lord willing, third time's the charm, I will say it correctly <laughs> then. All right? So that's what's going on this morning. And to facilitate that, we're going to continue in our Above and Beyond series uh, in the book of Nehemiah, looking at the power of of a personal commitment. So if you got your notes, would you open those up? Uh, when we last left off Nehemiah, he had traveled from the uh, capital city of Persia, Susa, to Jerusalem. 
He had resources. He had papers from the king uh, to do what God had put in his heart, to build a wall around Jerusalem. Why? Because Israel had been in disgrace, had been overrun by their enemies. Listen to this. For over 140 years, uh, the walls had been in ruins. So when he shows up, the people in the land, the only reality that they knew was a run-down Jerusalem. Nehemiah then, when he shows up, evaluates the situation. He takes a midnight stroll. He then outlines a strategic plan, casts a compelling vision, uh, and then let's just listen in once more to this compelling vision that he cast. He says to the people, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruin, and its gates have been burned with fire. He starts with defining the problem. Every great vision is an answer to a problem. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and, and we'll no longer be in disgrace. He outlines a solution here for us, and then he gives the motivation why we should do this now. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, a people who had watched their city be in ruins, a people who had been run over by the surrounding nations for 140 years, replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they started the good work. I want you to notice something. A strategic plan and a compelling vision accomplish little to nothing unless there is a group that makes a deep and personal commitment to bring it about. A personal commitment is powerful. A personal commitment. It's more than emotional response, a knee-jerk response, something that you feel in the moments. Uh, In your notes, I give you the definition of a personal commitment. It's a pledge or a promise to do something. It's this promise. I'm in. It's a dedication to a long-term course of action. A dedication to a long-term course of relationship, a project, or cause. That's what we're stepping into this morning as a church. And notice the power of a personal commitment. You ever been around someone that, that, that is living out their personal commitment or conviction? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's integrity in the workspace. Isn't it so inspiring? A personal commitment, when you see someone living it out winsomely, inspires you to greatness. It protects us from shortcuts, taking the easy way out, cutting corners, just settling for good enough. It provides conviction in the face of opposition. Now, we're in chapter 3 of Nehemiah. Just by show of hands, because we've been these prayer cards out and some of these sort of things. How many of you, I'm not going to say this last week because I don't want to put any in, but it's fine. How many of you have ever read chapter 3 of Nehemiah? A few of you, okay. Okay, so for those of you who have not, chapter 3 is one of the chapters that is so tempting to pass over, to skim by, to quickly just kind of peruse. It is a list of names and gates and it's like, okay, does this even matter? Let's get on to the good stuff. And yet, this chapter is an incredibly important chapter. This is where Nehemiah highlights and honors those people, those families, the towns that made this deep and personal commitment 
so that the vision of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem could be accomplished. And, and through it, we'll actually discover three keys or, or, uh, to developing and sustaining this personal commitment. So Nehemiah chapter 3 begins this way. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. And so if you spend some time in the text, and if you read through it, if, I want to draw your attention to a few things you'll notice. One, you'll notice that no professional builders is in the list of people. There's priests, there's perfumers, which is awesome. There's women, there's men, there's goldsmiths, there's nobles, there's officials, there's poor, there's merchants, there's city people, and there's country folk. And that's how you say it. You say country folk. I was born in Texas, so I know. And I think sometimes when we're talking about a personal commitment to something that is a God-sized vision, the reason we don't lean in and the reason we don't commit is we have this response. I just don't have the experience. I, I, I just don't have the education. I just don't have, and you fill in the blank, and God built this incredible feat with no professional builders among the list. In fact, what do we what say is, you don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to bring God all you have. See, see, that's the only requirement for God using your life is committing and saying, God, you can have all that I have. I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to know it all. God, you just have all that I have. The second thing you'll notice, and you see it right at the end, the sheep gate, is Nehemiah actually emphasizes the gates of the city. And I got this map for you so you can kind of see the the city walls here. The gates in the ancient day were incredibly important. Uh, they were the place where a city was most vulnerable, and so a strong gate was critical for protection. Gates allowed access to water. Um, gates were the places of commerce and politics, trade and judicial hearings. Uh, at the gates is where all the happenings of the city happened. In fact, uh, my dad wrote this in his book, Holy Ambition. The reinstallation of the gates brought order to every part of society. And each gate, this is just kind of a fun fact for you, each gate was named for what was happening just outside that gate. So you had the sheep gate. So imagine what was happening outside the sheep gate. Sheep! Yeah, thank you. See, the youth ministry's got it. Yeah, there's a, if you wanted to go find a sheep, if you needed to get a, a lamb for offering sacrifice at the temple, you would go there. The fish gate had all the merchants and the guys who went out and fished and brought in the catch of the day. And the dung gate, well, you get the idea. And what you'll find is in chapter 3, Nehemiah outlines in detail the work that's being done, and he works his way around uh, counterclockwise. Uh, it's actually the families and the groups of the towns are spending, it's about working on about 250 feet. That each family is working on approximately that amount. The city walls about two miles long. And this isn't like some little wall, by the way. It's not like some little garden wall. Uh, archaeologists, and where we can currently see it, even some of it today, it's about 10 feet wide and about 40 feet high. This is one big feat. Nehemiah, and I think this is so important, honors those who made a personal commitment. 
It's easy when you write your memoirs, and that's what the book of Nehemiah is, is to, to say, look at what I did. And he's so intentional of saying, look at what we did. You know, I mean, I look around this room and I think about all the people who sat in the living room with us uh, six and a half years ago praying and dreaming that God would do something. Uh, some families that you know, the Marigonis were in that group with us. Um, the Papuliuses were in that group with us. I'm going to forget people, so I'm not going to keep... Oh, the Warrens were in that group with us. I, like, we're just praying. And look, at, look around and go, man, six years later and see what God has done. Through us. He honors small villages like the village of Tekoa. Tekoa is five miles south of Bethlehem, which is um, about two miles south of Jerusalem. So they, these, this people is coming about seven to eight miles to be a part of this. And what I love about Nehemiah, he's a strategic shrewd leader. <laughs> and so he honors people and then he calls out people who aren't doing their work, especially leaders. And so he honors the people of Tekoa, and he calls out their officials. He says, man, the, the village of Tekoa is doing an incredible job, and their officials, they suck. They didn't show up. He literally calls them out in the text, and this people of Tekoa, they're the only ones that are listed that actually did a double duty on the wall. Amazingly, miraculously, Nehemiah and the people completed the rebuilding of the wall in 52 days. When the cakewalk is backbreaking labor, they experienced intense, intense opposition and resistance from the surrounding nations. This is important. Anytime you make a significant personal commitment, you will experience opposition. Next week, we're closing out our series with a courageous soul. Please come back for that. Incredibly important, especially when you make a commitment for Jesus, you will experience opposition. When God begins to birth a vision and a dream in your heart, and you take a commitment and a step, God, you'll begin to experience opposition. We have to learn how to address and face opposition. And so we're going to do that next week. But this morning, in chapter 3, we discover really three important lessons and how to really make and sustain personal commitments. This would be a great New Year's message, but we'll just prepare you for it. First thing we see in the text, making and sustaining a personal commitment, is that we got to keep the why in front of the what. we got to keep the why in front of the what. Vision in front of the task and the details. I started, that's the reason I started with Nehemiah's vision. Nehemiah cast a compelling vision, and everyone bought into this vision. Go back to chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, Elisha, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hanau. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built, the next, built next to them. Jericho, think about this, is not that close to Jerusalem. Now you can walk there. But it's 17 miles away. Think about this. The men of Jericho travel 17 miles to be a part of rebuilding a city wall that they will never inhabit, they will only visit. And it was summertime, 
and they left summer harvest to go about this good work. See, you got to keep focused on the why in those moments. And for some, this is such a transient culture. This, this is one of those things. You, you're going to be here for maybe two years that you're going to give strategically to this, and you're going to play a significant role here at Awakening, but you'll only get a visit. You won't get to live in it. In fact, uh, talking about the people of Tekoa, it says the next section, verse 5, was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulder to the work under their supervisor. I told you he calls them out. Think about that, though. Think about the vision and the excitement of getting to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And we naturally just kind of drift and follow the surrounding people around us. And, and these people are going, no, we're going to be a part of it. The leaders of our village, they're slacking, and we're not going to miss out on it. We're going to move forward with this vision. To make and sustain a personal commitment, you've got to keep the why in front of the what. I love this story about JFK, uh, and it's a true story from what I've researched. And JFK, during the space race, was visiting NASA, and he sees a man holding a broom. And he walks over to him and says, hey, I'm Jack Kennedy. What, what is it you do around here? And the man holding the broom, who was a janitor, responded this way to JFK. He said, well, Mr. President, I'm sending a man to the moon. Isn't that good? Come on. See, it would have been easy for him to say, all I do in this place is I mop floors. It would have been easy to say, is I, I just clean toilets. And by the way, I was a janitor for a long time. I know what that's like. He said, no, no, no. My role here is I'm a part of a team that is sending a man to the moon. And there is no insignificant role. And there is no insignificant role in the kingdom of God. And every person, no matter what you have, no matter where you come from, you play an integral part. But we have to keep the why, the vision, in front of all the details. Because here's what happens. People lose their way when they lose their why. You begin to complain. You begin to grumble. The tasks begin to build up, and all you see is tasks and issues in front of you. And when you get back to, okay, why are we doing this? Why is a team that gets here on Saturday set all this up? Why, why is there a team that shows up early Sunday morning and not only sets up, but then prepares all the kids' spaces and worship? Because we have a passion and a dream for this generation to experience Jesus. We, we don't want to do a service. We want to introduce you to a Savior. And so the first thing we need to know in keeping a personal commitment, making and sustaining, is you've got to keep your why in front of the what. The second is get next to those going in the same direction. Get next to those going in the same direction. The most repeated phrase in chapter 3 is next to them or next to him. It just it says that 20 times next to them, next to him, next to them, next to him. And, and then it's inferred multiple other times. I just gave you a little snippet. Uh, chapter 3, verse 28 says, Above the horse gate, which was, was happening outside the horse gate, 
Thank you very much. The priest made repairs each in front of his own house. We'll get to that next. Next to them, Zadok, son of Emir, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Shemaiah, son of Jeconiah, the guard at the east gate, made repairs next to him. Hananiah, son of Shemaliah, and the Hanun, I'm just saying them fast so you think I know what I'm saying. The sixth son, Azalef, repaired another section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechai, made repairs opposite his living quarters. Say it with me. Next to him. Who are you next to? Who are you next to? Like when it comes to these deep personal commitments to be a woman or a man of character. To, to parent in a godly way, to date in a way with an integrity, to have a purity about you. Who are you next to? See, because whoever you're next to is going to rub off on you. Get next to those going in the same direction. Now, here's what I don't mean. <laughs> We're going to talk about this. It doesn't mean that you retreat from the world and you're not around people The question is, am I being influenced or am I being an influencer? Get next to those when it comes to your integrity and character. Like, like, are you the woman or the man you ultimately long to be? And if not, and I think we're all in process. I know we're all in process. We're just not all honest about it. But we're all in process. Get around people in your life that you just go, I want to be like them. They just challenge me. In fact, I'd encourage you to write down Psalm 15 and just begin to evaluate. I want to be around people like this, this psalm describes. What about relationally? We got a church 60% singles. What does it look like to date with integrity, to date with purity, to honor God with your sexuality? Are you next to people who are doing and going the same direction? I've heard it said once that you just run as hard after Jesus singles and then just look around and see who's keeping up. What about in your marriage? Are you around people that challenge you and grow you in your marriage? What about financially when it comes to generosity or when it comes to wise stewardship? Are you next to people that that just invest their lives for themselves and on themselves or for others and for the kingdom? What about spiritually? Get next to those going in the same direction. I'm just going to, if you, okay. Oh, boy. So so here's the deal. Um, We have some really incredible young single women in this church that are passionately following Jesus. And, yeah, woo, (laughs) woo. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Obviously very excited young single women. Oh, no. Can, can, I, can I hear tell some of these young men something here real quick? They're waiting for a man of God. I almost said something really inappropriate to, like, man up, and you, some of you guys can think, well, what just went through my head? Men. 
get next to other men who are passionately following Jesus and stop complaining about the world and stop complaining about your office and you just begin to go, I'm going to run hard after Jesus. And by the way, there's a whole group of ladies that says, amen, come on. All right, I'm done. I'm done. (laughs) Making and sustaining a personal commitment. Keep the why in front of the what. Get next to those going in the same direction. And finally, if this is really going to be something that's going to be true of you, it has to matter to you. It has to matter to you. This can't be just a nice idea. Man, this would be a good thing. Yeah, I'd like that. Like, it has to matter deeply to you. It's got to be personal, not just emotional. You have to own it. Nehemiah, he's so shrewd, brilliant. In fact, uh, all the business people, I'd encourage you, study the book of Nehemiah through the lens of a business person. He is a brilliant business leader. And watch what he does here. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 28 says, adjoining this, Jedediah, son of, you get it, made repairs opposite his house. Interesting. Hattush, son of Hashabaniah, made repairs next to him. I love this next line, verse 12. Shalom, son of Halesh, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem. This guy is in charge. Repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. Like it mattered, it was personal to him. This is, I love this line because this is the only space where we see uh, daughters and women involved in the building. I just love that he highlighted that, elevated them. Above the horse gate, verse 28, the priest made repairs each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Emer, made repairs opposite his old house. Nehemiah takes those who are living in the city and says, you're going to build the walls in front of your house. Why? Because the wall in front of your house matters to you. The wall in front of your house is your protection from the invading army. There's a different level of focus. There's a different level of attention. There's a different level of craftsmanship that you will give to what's in front of your house as opposed to your neighbor's house maybe on the opposite side. We've got to keep the why in front of the what. We've got to get next to those going in the same direction. And it can't just be a good thing, a nice idea, it has to matter to us. Like the very beginning of our series, we began to pray this prayer. God, would you break my heart for the things that break your heart? Heavenly Father, would you break my heart? What is that prayer? God, would you make my heart break for the things that matter to your heart? Would you get my heart in such a way that it would be as if I'm building the wall in front of my own house, that it would have such focus and attention and direction and clarity that it would just so deeply matter to me what matters to you? follower of Jesus, people have to matter to us. Why? Because people matter to God. People matter to God. 
Like, like follower of Jesus, when we see people, we got to see an image bearer of the King, of the God Most High, whom our Savior came and died on the cross that they might have life and be in a relationship with Him. How valuable are they? They're worth the life of God's Son. That's how valuable. Every human being you come across and I come across, no matter what position they hold, no matter what education they have, no matter the color of their skin or their political affiliation, people have to matter to us. (laughs) You have never come across an ordinary human, by the way. You've come across an eternal being that was created by the king of kings. And God has a dream and a destiny. And we get to be a people to call that out and call them into new life. A love for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Like the great commission has got to matter to us. Like this building thing that we're talking about is not about a building. We've talked about a strategic training center. It's how can we facilitate the mission God has for us. How can we see that we raise up a generation of leaders in the church that shape this entire world in the name of Jesus? It's got to move from a nice idea to a personal commitment. How do you make and sustain a personal commitment? Keep the why in front of the what. Get next to those going in the same direction. And then you got to sit in it till it matters to you. You just stay until something breaks in your heart. This morning, for many, what I love about what's happening at Awakening through this campaign is it's really brought about this process for those of like really committing more deeply to awakening, far more than just kind of giving some money to it. It's like, no, man, this is, this is where I'm at, and this is where I'm placed, and this is what I want to be a part of. I've watched families have incredible conversations, singles lean in. It's humbling. It's exciting. It's catalyzing us to be a church that just doesn't have a great vision but lives out a great vision. And in a moment, we're going to invite the band to come forward. And for those who came prepared, who said, no, I'm ready to make this commitment these next two years, invite you in your seats just simply to sit. And if you want to fill it out there, if you want to move around, you can. And invite you to come forward and and drop it off in the bin and, and take communion. But a message like this actually has some deeper and even more profound responses. Because for some, the personal commitment in this room has has little to do with awakening. It has everything to do with your relationship with Jesus. I love what Dallas Willard said. He said, we become a life student of Jesus by deciding We do not drift into discipleship. 
let's, let's just be honest. For some, you've tried to drift in, into discipleship with your relationship with Jesus. You've just kind of come around hoping that something will rub off. And man, that's a great first step. But, but at some point, you have to make a personal commitment to Jesus. For some, we were just talking about it, and it has to do with bringing your life under the authority of Jesus, and for maybe it's with your, your purity, maybe it's with your integrity, where you go, get Jesus, I am making a personal commitment to you. What does that mean? It means that you are the Lord of my life. What does that mean? It means I'm following you, and I'm not following after other things. It, it means that I'm no longer going to give you lip service and live my own life. You have my life, and so you Get to tell, get to tell me how to go about life. What it means is I'm going to choose to love you with all that I am, and then I'm going to learn how to love others with the love that you give me. And for others this morning, I want to invite you as we take communion that this is a powerful moment in your life where you make a personal commitment to Jesus, and you go, I'm in. I've been drifting. I've been going through the motions. I'm in. I'm yours. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for this moment. Thank you for what you're doing in the life of our church. Thank you for the spiritual life that is springing up. God, thank you for each person represented in this room that represents so many people they're coming into contact with and having impact God, I just pray over this moment that this would be a sacred moment where, where we lean into you, lean into what you have for us. As we, as we take communion, may we remember the commitment you made to us. God, I pray for the person on the edge that's just wrestling, the internal wrestling of their soul right now. They've just been wrestling. They've been feeling your prompting. That struggle in their soul has been, has been the Spirit tugging on them, and they're wrestling of whether they're all in with you. And I pray for the courage in this moment to say, I'm yours, I'm yours, I'm yours. And God, more than, than us raising a sum of money, may we see new life come out of this service today. In Jesus' name, amen.